Hello, and welcome to RipperCast, your podcast on Jack the Ripper and the Whitechapel murders. This is episode 30, A Clue in Whitechapel, the Golston Street Graffito. I'm Jonathan Mangus, and joining the show today from Maidstone, Kent in the UK is Paul Begg. From Ramsgate, Kent in the UK is Chris Scott. From Philadelphia, Pennsylvania is Howard Brown. From Edmonton, Alberta, Canada is Robert McLaughlin. From Neath in Wales is Gareth Williams. And from Charlottesville, Virginia is Allie Ryder. Well, thanks everybody for being on the show today. This episode is going to be discussing the Goldston Street Graffito, which was a piece of chalk writing found on a wall above a piece of Catherine Edda's apron within a couple hours of the discovery of her body in Mitre Square. PC Alfred Long, who was brought in from A Division to work the Whitechapel Beats uh, as an extra duty officer, was walking down Golston Street at 2.55 a.m. on the morning of September 30th and found a between the uh in in the stairway of in the entrance of uh, numbers uh 108 to 119 of the Wentworth model dwellings which was a large block of dwellings that had entrances that divided up the building into sections so this was in the entrances to the rooms uh 108 to 119 he found a piece of a woman's apron uh, wet with blood. That piece would later be matched to the apron of Catherine Eddowes. And he did a cursory search of the uh, building, thinking, I guess, that um, there may have been another murder that had occurred there at the building site. And on the brick of the door jam, he saw written in chalk... And uh, variations of this phrase have popped up from time to time, but essentially it said, the Jews are the men that will not be blamed for nothing. PC Long wrote down that message, and word got to the officers who are at the scene of Mitre Square, who came over to Goulston Street, uh, city PCs, and uh, Scotland Yard PCs, and... Charles Warren was alerted, and he went to Lehman Street Police Station. He, Charles Warren was alerted about the murders of the double event, the murders of Elizabeth Stride and Catherine Eddowes. He goes to Lehman Street Police Station, where he is made aware of the discovery of the piece of apron and the, the graffiti. And Arnold, who is the uh, superintendent at Lehman Street Police Station had by this time already sent an officer to Goulston Street to wipe out the message. Warren said that he wanted to check out the writing on the wall first before he made any decisions. Once Warren arrived on the scene, he agreed with Superintendent Arnold that in order to prevent any kind of anti-Jewish rioting, that the message be erased. To the objections of uh, some of the other uh, PCs who were at the scene, they had sent for a photographer, 
I believe, at that point, but it would have taken an hour for the photographer to have arrived. So much has been made of this, uh, the wording on, this, on the wall. The Jews are the men that will, will not be blamed for nothing. Um, the word Jews was misspelled, so it appears. We, uh, various spellings have it as J-E-W-E-S, which is how McWilliams uh, had it written down. Um, P.C. Long had it spelled J-U-E-W-S. And Warren had it spelled J-U-W-E-S. And Swanson also had it spelled the same way as Warren. But nevertheless, it, it appeared to me that the officers at the scene, whether they wanted the message erased or not, um, and this would be including Warren and Arnold, did connect the graffiti to the crime. So just as, as a way of introduction, that's basically what happened. The meaning behind the message has been debated endlessly, and it still gets debated to this day, and whether or not it was even written by the killer or one of a number of graffiti uh, phrases that were written on the walls in the neighborhood, and it, it would have nothing to do with the murder of Catherine Eddowes or Elizabeth Streit. So, Howard Brown, uh, you uh, have an opinion on this matter. Why don't, why don't you uh, tell us what you think about this? I, I certainly do. Thank you, John. Um, my main contention that the graffiti would could be considered evidence is that the amount of emphasis that the police put on it at the time, um, not to divert um, what we're going to talk about here, but we have at least six different spellings of the word throughout time, and the, the two most probable are the one that P.C. Long and Detective uh, Constable Holtz came up with. The, uh, the, gra- the graffiti is actually a hybrid message. It uses the second word used by Hulse and the sentence structure used by Long. And, of course, Warren, Warren jettisoned that uh, communication to the Home Office on October 8th. Um, we also have an issue about the actual location. I, I, I believe Mr. Begg brought that up uh, several years ago, that it was above the door. And I followed up with an article in Ripperologist in 2005, and... The premise of my arg- my argument about the graffiti being uh, legitimate evidence uh, is that it was above the door on the black fascia. Now, I know a lot of ripperologists believe it was on the archway, but considering that it rained that night, I, I think that it would be highly improbable that Detective Hulse would have mentioned that it was fresh. Um, does anyone have any comments about that? Just to add yep. that P.C. Long, um, in his description, and he was the first P.C. to see the graffiti, called it blurred. And he's also the he's also the witness at the inquest who more or less flip-flopped on his actual testimony. He wasn't quite sure if you read through the inquest uh, transcripts. Uh, going back to what you were saying about the location of the graffiti on the wall, um, Explain to us a little bit more in detail of where you think that the graffiti was located as opposed to what's the commonly held belief. Well, that's a, that's a good question. I know that Charles Warren mentioned that it was on the door jam on the arch. However, I have seen references in newspapers, and I believe that Mr. Begg brought it up several years ago. He didn't um, push the idea, but he, he brought it up that it was above the door. And to me, that would... Uh, there, were, there was brickwork above the door at, near the door jam, obviously. Uh, 
and and the way I read it, it, it to me it seems like it was above that door that led down to the cellar. But that's just an opinion, and I wondered if anybody else had any comments about that. One of the uh, things that also I've I've read about the location is that it was inside the entranceway leading to the rooms, um, not so much on the archway, but on the wall inside. Yes, I, I, I think that's the feeling that I, I have as well. Yeah, I think my observation on that would be, um, Howard, Paul, everybody, is is that, you know, an archway is, <clears throat> is kind of a right angular structure. You know, there are the, the, the bits that sort of front onto the street, and there's the bit that's tucked in, so to speak, at a right angle into the passageway itself. Um, so, therefore, it's possible for something to have been written on the doorway and in the passage at the same time, yeah? if we, which sort of ties in with Warren's description of it being on the, on the jam of the open doorway. Um, so that's, that, that's kind of where I put it. So it's, um, it's just off the street, let's say, by... How, how wide is, 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 is an archway? You know, six, eight inches maybe uh, on the part of the doorway. I think Howard did some measurements based on the, the size of a brick. Well, I mean, thing yes, is sir. that the, uh, the Goulston Street building is still there. I mean, we could, we could go along and measure the bricks uh, ourselves yeah. and, and figure that out. But, I mean, the, the writing, as we, we established, at Howard, I think, was that uh, it was brick size. It was, it was not a great big scrawl as, as depicted in some of the movies. It was just written on a brick. Good point, sir. And, and the Hollywood, the Hollywood mythology... Excuse me. Yeah. Uh, the Hollywood mythology that has created gripperology is that the graffiti was this huge garish message that was left um, at, at various places all throughout the East End. When in fact the, the capital letters on the graffiti were three quarters of an inch high. Uh, we also have the, the 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 problem of whether it was in three lines or in five lines. At the inquest, it was mentioned. Uh, um, uh, you don't quote me on this. I believe it said three lines, and I know I've seen references to where it said it was in three lines. But however, the communicated um, Commissioner Warren sent to the Home Office on October eighth mentioned it in five lines. We also have another issue about whether it was written in script or it was written in block letters. No one seems to know. So um, you know, there's there are all time. All sorts of internal mysteries about the graffiti that we haven't figured out yet, uh, but but the the one overriding factor why I think that it that it is prov- there is provenance to it being connected with the apron is because of, number one the location and the fact that there was no other graffiti mentioned inside that building it just seems highly coincidental on top of the fact that the police made such a big issue about it. And I agree. Don't you believe that? because um, Arnold's first instinct was to have it erased and then Warren agreed and the PCs on the scene wanted it photographed rather than erased, it seemed like the consensus at the scene was that this graffiti was related to the murders. Otherwise, there wouldn't, in my opinion, been as much urgency in either preserving it or destroying it. Well, the reason... You know, we've got to bear in mind here that the, uh, the reason that they erased it anyway was because they were fearful that it might inspire uh, 
uh, anti anti uh, Jewish feeling. Uh, that was partly. Uh, if that was the if that was the reason for the erasure, then I don't think it really makes much difference whether they thought it was genuine or not. It was just sure. that it was it was found uh, the graffiti and the, and and the apron were found in the same place, and so uh, people and would may, perhaps have made that a connection. They may well have thought it didn't have anything to do with the Ripper crimes, but the proximity of the apron in relation would put that idea in the mind of the public, and they wanted to forestall that rumor mongering and gossiping that might have gone on. Yes, I would exactly. think that if. If Warren actually considered it to be evidence, I think he would have been highly less likely to erase anything that he considered to actually be evidence in the case than he would have if he just thought it was a happenstance, random bit of graffiti that might be misconstrued. So I lean more towards Warren did not consider it evidence and did not think it had anything to do with the crime. Can I, can I just say that I think also it might be what might be more important is not the wording but the location because Warren even balked at the idea of just either erasing the one word Jewies or, or the whole of the first line. He still balked at that, which if he, I, I think if he were worried that the wording was what would spark a, some kind of anti-Semitic incident, um, then, that, then that would make sense. Um, but I think also I think you've got to mention that the that that particular block of dwellings was occupied almost exclusively by Jews. Um, and, I th and also that uh, by the time the photographer would have arrived, it would have been either would have been light or would have been getting light. So you know, there, were, <coughs> there, were there were various options mentioned, like covering it, having a policeman standing there and have, or covering it the sacking or erasing one of the lines. And, um, uh, and Warren sort of poo-pooed them all and said, no, I want it... Um, I want it wiped off. And so I think it was the location of it rather than the wording that... Um, and also there was, a, if I remember rightly, there was a very busy street market because it's very, it's very near Middlesex Street, isn't it? So, there, I mean, there would, right, have, been a, yes. there would have been a lot, of, a lot of people about. And I agree with you, Chris, because um, uh, Warren must have been concerned about the location of it. It must have been uh, visible, clearly visible by the street for him to take that action. If, if it were inside the doorway... Um, I, I don't think he would have taken the action he did. I, I, I think if I think if it were, as it were, as if there weren't sort of like arrows pointing to it, i.e., constables on duty. I mean, even even if it were, um, if it, even if it were on the brickwork on the side, or even on the the black face, you're actually inside the doorway. I think you know it, the the public mood at the time. If they'd been walking down Goulston Street and saw you know a group of coppers hanging about and looking worried. Then, then they would have uh, probably sort of tried to peek in to see what on earth was going on. I think if the if the graffito had just been there, um, whether it was above the door, on the door jam, just inside on the fascia, um, I think. You see, the other, the other problem I have with this is there's there's one. I think to judge this in context, there's one piece of information which we don't have, which I think we're very unlikely ever to have, which was how common was graffiti in 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 victorian london i mean if, if there was if there was graffiti all over the place i mean there's certain certainly in urban centers at the moment you know if there was an incident 
Um, certainly, even cities near me, Canterbury, I mean, Canterbury city centre, the underpasses, I mean, a copper just wouldn't notice or wouldn't report graffiti because it's so common. Whether that's true in the East End at the time, I just don't know. I don't know how common graffiti was or whether this was exceptional or, or what. True. I, and I just, point, I'm sorry. I just wanted to quickly mention that um, there was graffiti around the Pynchon Street torso murder. Um, yeah, in one uh, of the arches. Uh, yeah, somebody had written uh, the word Lipsky in large chalk letters. Uh, uh, the torso was done. Prior to that, Robert, there was there was that you know what was it fifty more, uh, and then I give myself up, you know that alleged. Um, oh, at Hanbury, Hanbury Street, yeah, yeah Hanbury Street, Street as well, right. Yeah. right? And then afterwards, um, I'm sure, uh, stemming from the publicity of the Gulshan Street graffito, there was chalk writing that made reference to five more to go signed leather apron right. or something to that effect. Um, so, but but, we, can't, but we can't judge that post-Golston oh. Street graffito, graffiti on, you know, we're looking for instances of prior to this um, that, that would show its prevalence. But you're right that that, that Hanbury Street, um, which I guess was a, a press creation, isn't it pretty universally believed to have not been existing at the scene of uh, Annie Chapman's murder? I think so. They they said it was written on the shutter. I think on the general point of, of you know chalk messages being on the walls. I mean, there's there's a long tradition of it. You know, dating all the way back to um, to Pompeii and, and even before then, if you like, in stone to uh, to various caves. Um, so, so I think sort of daubing things on walls using whatever medium came to hand, and sometimes using your hands as the medium. Um, you know, it's got a long precedent in uh, in cultures across the world. So <coughs> um, I think that um, it's reasonable to assume that um, you know that this wasn't um, a rare occurrence, particularly in in a working class area like Pulston uh, Street or the East End in general, where there were lots of costermongers. Uh, now, if you read um, Mayhew. Uh, London Labour and the London Poor, written about well, a quarter of a century before the, the Whitechapel murders. Um, his accounts there are costermongers always carrying chalk in their pockets. Yeah, so they could mm. put their pitch up and, and, and scribble the latest prices down. So yeah. uh, this was a fairly sort of standard way of communicating, I think, yeah. um, uh, in, in, in the sort of urban middle, middle to working class areas of, uh, of the East End. And um, Martin Fido, I think, would agree with you, Gareth, and he, um, on a prior podcast, uh, said that his belief on the Gulfstream Street graffiti is that it was left as an insult pertained to um, one of the the sellers. Um, You know, it it was something written by a dissatisfied customer. Um, It could also be fairly low down, though, wasn't it, which is odd if that was the case. I seem to remember, Howard, uh, I'm yeah, battling sure. a cold here at the same time, but I, I, I seem to remember that, uh, that, that it was, it, he would have had to have been down on his haunches or something. Right, and in, for three-quarter-inch capital letters, um, and instead of saying, um, Joe Cohen robbed me, I mean, it, the, the message is, is really, really convoluted if it's meant to be an insult or slur to any Jewish vendor. It's, it, it's an unorthodox message. I mean, what could they be blamed for? I mean, what's the message there? 
Well, um, it's even more convoluted if it's the Ripper trying to make a statement. Um, I mean, he didn't do it by a Ripper murder. He didn't deface any other Ripper murders, like the Kelly scene, for example. If he had a message that he wanted to get across, the Kelly scene afforded him walls and walls in which he could have um, gotten his message across. It wasn't found at the site of a murder. It was found, you know, blocks away. And the only thing that's tying it to the murders is the discarded bit of apron, which True. he may well have just cast aside as he walked down. And if it wasn't for that apron, which is basically rubbish, something he threw away, um, we never would have even consider this graffito as being in any way part of of the ripper crimes so when you're okay. looking at the message you know if, if he were going to be taking credit or trying to make something you know i've killed three and the jews are the men who will not be blamed for something it, it's just mm. you can't say well it's very convoluted message because well regardless of what it is it, it's a very convoluted message okay so, sorry, I was going to say, if it said something like uh, P.S. Major Smith, um, forget about looking for bloodstains, I've washed my hand in the trough, then yeah, true. You know, that, that would solve so many mysteries. Yeah, that's, that's why it, there's a possibility that it was an incomplete message. But getting back to what Ali said about uh, graffiti and location, I can tell you right, right off the bat that there's a, um, a graffiti at a murder site, a famous murder site, the Manson murder, where the word Helder Skelter was written in the victim's blood and no one understood what that meant. It took, um, but it, it took was one actually of them. at the crime scene. It was absolutely, but no one understood it. No one understood what it. What, what, what this helter skelter, and it's misspelled too. So we have two. Of the, it, I'm not saying it has to be clear, but it's not only not clear; it isn't at the crime scene. So if if Jack true. the Ripper wanted to leave a message to the police, why wasn't he leaving them at? crime scenes where it would be clearly connected okay. like the Manson's did okay. or why didn't he make a statement like Zodiac did, I killed such and such, here's all my confusing little babble that you're not going to understand but something that clearly lets them know this is from me I did this exactly, I understand Okay, Allie, but by the same token, remember it rained that night and all the walls are wet. In Mitre Square, um, it's quite possible that he, he, he figured that his time was up uh, as far as taking risk. And he, and he walked off wiping his hands or wiping the blade or contemplating what he's going to do. And then he goes to the one place, the inside of the Wentworth, and discards the um, apron piece and writes from the shelter uh, from inside the Wentworth building. It doesn't make any sense to write a scrawled message on wet brick, and okay. it's quite possible. It's quite possible all the the, the brickwork around uh, Mitre Square was wet. Why didn't he tag it? I killed two tonight, or if you believe one, I killed one tonight. Or if he was prone to leaving messages for the police, given that that one was not satisfying, he didn't get to do it at the crime scene. It wasn't quite clear. Mary Kelly's room, awesome exactly. opportunity. He could have written, you know, his version of Helter Skelter. He could have written his version of the Jews or the men that will not be blamed for nothing. He had time. He had privacy. He had the medium of blood or chalk or whatever he wanted to use. And there's nothing. So to me, just the idea that we would have this killer who would write this little tiny message in chalk in a little out of the way place. And then given the opportunity to paint a wall with blood, if that were his his predilection, he chooses not to do it. I just don't well, that's see... True. I, 
That's true. Because, what? But you, you have to start somewhere. And because there was no graffiti found at the tab- well, Tabram or the Nichols murder doesn't mean that he that um, that the, the first time that he does it um, that we can look back and say, well, why didn't he do that in other instances? He had, you know, he didn't do everything the same way at every crime scene. It's very so fortuitous, isn't it, that he's walking along and he discards the apron uh, just below where there is a piece of, uh, of, of graffiti. One way or the Fresh other, graffiti. I mean, either, yeah, either it was, um, it, either the graffiti had nothing to do with the apron, it was just coincidental, or it does have something to do with the apron. And if, if it does, I mean, we're never going to know one way or the other, but if it does, then you try to, to figure out uh, one line of, of thought, and if it didn't, then you're wasting your time trying to figure out anything at all. But there, we should count in here, don't forget, uh, Sir Robert Anderson, I think, um, referred to the writing on the wall and saying it was a clue that was destroyed, if you recall. Yes, it's true. Um, so does that suggest that it was felt that the writing was genuine by the police at the time, that it did have a connection. If, 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 if nothing else, I suppose it would give some weight to the, the Anderson, um, you know, uh, foreign view idea, because um, uh, there's no way Jack would have been British, because if he had been, uh, he'd just have written a message complaining about the weather, uh, picking up on <laughs> Howard's point earlier about the rain. Um, Sorry, b- back to um, Howard's point... Um, Comparing this to the Manson murders, um, which he's emailed me before and we discussed it uh, prior to the podcast. But one thing I, I wanted to point out, the Manson murder site, yes, there was the phrase Helter Skelter misspelled that the prosecution end up, ended up using as the, their benchmark of their case against the Manson family. There was also a door found at Barker Ranch, the Manson family, that had the word Helter Skelter misspelled in the exact same way that they were able to pry off its hinges and bring into the courtroom. But also at the Manson site, they wrote pig. They wrote political piggy. They carved war into one of the victim's chests. We're talking about the, both, both of the double crimes of the Manson families. Um, so there was a lot more messages there at the crime scene that they didn't – I don't believe that the police necessarily needed to figure out what Helter Skelter meant when political piggy death to pigs and rise was written right next to it. Um, you know, So I don't know. The comparison with the Manson case, I, I, don't, I don't think that, that that's, that's a very apt comparison because if, the, if Jack would have rent, if Jack would have written the Jews are the men that won't be blamed for nothing, kind of like what Gareth was saying, and underneath it wrote, um, oh, by the way, you know, 50, I, I have uh, 15 more to go or something, something to that effect, then, um, you know, taken into con- conjunction, maybe the, 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 we wouldn't be looking at the what what this emphasis on the first writing was, you know. Mm. That, uh, can I can I just ask something? Which I'm not sure about, but I think is important. Which is I th- one of the reasons why I think that the police um, took it so seriously was to do with the proximity of, uh, to the because we've got we've got to remember this was the the fourth canonical murder. I mean, we were well into the series, and the you know the. At what, at what point did the police know that the portion of apron was definitely connected to Edo's? 
because I think as soon as they appreciated that and they thought, right, for the first time at any murder, we've got a tangible physical clue, so they would have taken everything in the immediate proximity very seriously. So I'm not sure at what point... I, I, I don't know how they physically compared them, whether they took the apron from Goulston Street to Mitre Square or the mortuary and, and made sure they tallied up, but I'm, I'm not sure how far into proceedings they were sure that they'd actually got a physical portion of Eddowes' apron. Yes, that's if I remember correctly, Chris, uh, it, w- it was D.C. Hulse who took it to uh, Golden Lane Mortuary uh, to match it up uh, with Eddowes. Right. And, uh, and I do believe that this was before uh, the graffiti was even erased, uh, that okay. they, they, they had had a match for it. Right. And, and I think that was some of the, some of the city police, uh, why they were so reticent, why they wanted it photographed. Yeah. Because uh, they did have... Catherine Eddowes' apron. Um, I had read that Long took the apron piece to the Commercial Street Police Station within 15 minutes of discovering it. Um, now, that that is from one source, and other sources may vary, so I'm not sure which one's the most accurate one. Um, but nevertheless, we'd agree that the apron was taken away from the scene before... Um, the, the graffiti was erased, which, which you know, kind of brings up the point of, of how, you know, certainly the apron piece lying there in conjunction with the graffiti might have worried the police. But, um, and this is all in 120-year hindsight, but, you know, wouldn't you think that removing the apron from the scene, it's not like there was a body lying there, um, would have lessened the uh, the influence of the graffiti on, on um, you know, someone had mentioned earlier, oh, yeah, well, if you have a bunch of PCs standing around pointing at the thing, then, then that could draw attention to it. But um, you wonder, you know, mm. why, why they, they felt so... Um, why they, they they were so concerned about the graffiti in the absence of the apron from even being there anymore. So. Well, as I, I go back to what I said. I think that the having having realised as soon as soon as they'd made that physical link between the um, the portion of apron in Goulston Street and the murder scene in Mitre Square, then. Log- logically, I would have, I would have assumed that they would take everything in that immediate environment, sort of very seriously as a, as a potential clue. This was, I mean, this was the first physical link they had to the Ripper. It was the first indication, for example, of you know which direction he'd gone in after he'd left the murder scene. And so potentially, it might it might have been some indication as to where he lived or where his bolt hole was. So I I, I just assume they would have taken everything sort of very seriously in that immediate... And to find a piece of writing near there, whether it was connected or not, I think that's why... I think the fact that they took it seriously doesn't necessarily indicate that they were absolutely convinced it was written by the killer. That's what I'm getting at. Right, which is uh, similar to what Ali was saying earlier. Absolutely. Can I just add one note, which I think might be important for... You gave the very good introduction to the... about the Galston Street Graffito, but I think it's also important to realise that there's this... This element of timing, I think it's important to mention that, um, that uh, two coppers stated that they passed that point at 2.20, which was, what, 35 minutes after the murder, and noticed nothing there. So there's, there's also this disputed point about whether 
Jack was hanging around in the vicinity and placed the apron and or did the graffito at some time after 2.20 or whether the coppers had just not noticed it before and it had been there all along. I'm one of those people that think it could have actually been there all along because a lot of people look at 2.20 when PC Long passed through there or even when Hall says he passed through there at 2.20. And um, I'm thinking, you know, considering the beats of the Metropolitan Police, Long would have also passed through there about 30 or 35 minutes before 2.20, which places him at about 145, 150, that general time. And I'm just wondering if his presence makes the Ripper go into that doorway as he's fleeing uh, Mitre Square and he's heading that direction, and that's about the time that uh, Long would go through uh, uh, Goulston Street. I think it's also important to, to note that, that House said that, um, that he went down past that spot at about 20 past two and didn't notice the apron, but he did specifically say that it was quite possible that he wouldn't have seen it. Yeah, because it was right, in I the building. He, yeah, that's, it was in that's, the, what, yeah. that's what House said. So go on, Robert. And he was, and he was probably checking things very quickly. You know, he's probably yeah. moving very quickly. And well, he, he he's said, probably he said I should more, not, more for people. That's right. He said I should not necessarily have seen the apron or the piece yeah. of apron. So I don't, I don't think that's any discredit to him. I mean, and you've got to remember, it's you know, it's pitch dark. Yeah, and if he's heading north south, which he was, you know, he was coming off Wentworth Street, wasn't he? Um, yeah. Uh, and heading towards Mitre Square, so it's a fair bet that he was heading south down Goulston. Um, so if, if the apron was deposited on the northern side of the doorway, uh, it, it might have been more easily overlooked. Uh, yeah. And, you know, the, the darkness of the location as well wouldn't have helped. So the trouble is we don't know whether Long's beat was clockwise or anti-clockwise. But uh, no. as with everything else, there's much speculation. Excuse me, doesn't it, doesn't it indicate or um, infer to anyone that since Long and Hulse both overlooked it, the first time they passed by, that it was probably in the recess of the building, as opposed to the outside underneath the door jam of the arch. Well, I think, I think Long, yeah, I, th- I think Long noticed the apron first, didn't he? So that's what caught his eye, uh, and then he discovered the writing afterwards as he searched the the entranceway. Um, right. So uh, the, it, that doesn't really answer the question of whether the the writing would have been visible from the street, because uh, Long didn't notice it. Uh, on both occasions, if you see what I mean, uh, until he was actively, you know, got his got his lantern out and started searching. I had a question, and this is kind of tangential, but when it said that um, Long um, investigated part of the uh, area of the Wentworth model dwellings adjacent to where the apron was found, because he was concerned if another murder had occurred there, they also say that later on they did a search of of the Wentworth model dwellings. But but I think the wording is that um, they didn't find any evidence of anyone going in um, at the in the time frame that they're looking at. Does that mean that they do you does do you guys believe that they were actually going door to door knocking or were they just looking for blood trails leading to a certain door? Because I'm wondering if they actually did room to room searches uh, on the heels of this or if they were just looking for evidence that someone entered um, who may have been dripping with blood, because it's, it's kind of um, unclear. Yeah, it's unusual, John, if they didn't do that, considering 
Um, at the Stride murder, they investigated the people inside the uh, International Working Man's Educational Club, and they um, they basically frisked them, and they um, they they wanted to know their whereabouts, all the males inside there. So I yeah I wouldn't understand why they wouldn't do it inside the Wentworth if they didn't. Because that would kind of um, you know if they're alerting everyone inside this mainly Jewish uh, dwelling um, that that there had been that there is reason to be concerned downstairs, you know, that, that, uh, you know, um, kind of goes into their whole, uh, you know, array the erasing of their graffiti. Well, of course that it may have get, give more importance to that. If they just told everyone inside that, um, something that occurred down there, you know, police themselves were bringing the attention, uh, to the, um, Residents of of the model dwelling, of of something that could possibly you know be of some concern. Well, I think, I think I mean, whether I, they I deliberately, I, well, I think whether they deliberately went door to door or not, um, they found something. They call people. People come up. They start discussing it. People stick their head out the window. Oi, what are you talking about? What's going on here? Blah 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 blah. Whether it was a deliberate. Uh, sort of bringing it to their attention just from the act of being there and investigating it the people are going to start to have it come to their attention and then it's going to spread as more people sort of come about so when it starts to be sort of like you said a more public thing I don't know whether it was a deliberately drawing people's attention to sort of scenario but I'm sure just in the act of performing their duties they were drawing attention I was just wondering if if the search of the dwellings um, included uh, going actually door to door, you know, at at three thirty in the morning. Um, I don't know that it did at that point, John. Uh, but uh, I think we know that um, that Long actually sort of went up the stairs and and and, and apron in hand, presumably, uh, and did a check before he eventually took the apron to the the police station, having found a colleague and sort of put him on guard, so to speak. Um, but I think, I, I, I'm sure I've read somewhere in the papers that um, the uh, individual residents were interviewed uh, probably the following day, maybe not at three in the morning. Um, but, you know, some discreet inquiries maybe uh, were carried out. It, it's all to no avail anyway, because, of course, the, the papers are sort of splashed with the story anyway. So all that worry about wiping the chalk message off, etc., etc., um, was really a kind of a, a damp squib because everybody found out about it, uh, irrespective of that. Right. Now, Howard, um, since you lean towards it being left by the murderer, uh, what what uh, is your interpretation of the message he was trying to send? It could be an attempt to blame the Jews of the East End for the crimes, or it could be a an explanation as to why Stride was possibly not mutilated in uh, Burner Street. It could be a myriad of things, but um, I I don't have the mind of a serial killer yet, and um, I'm just I'm just assuming that uh, it would be one of those two things. And I'm not I'm not entirely convinced that that message is complete. He may have been interrupted. Um, if he had written the message in a normal, if the assuming that the Ripper wrote that message, and he wrote it at a an average speed, he would have had around 120 feet either way, um, up up uh, Golson Street and down, and even covering uh, New Golson Street, which 
juts out into uh, Golson Street, he would have had up to maybe 35 seconds where he could have written that message completely. So it's quite possible some something disturbed him in the act of writing, and he, he left it incomplete. Um, Howard, just- can I... Can I ask you a question, Howard? Sure. And, uh, you know, other people can pipe in on this as well. Um, you know, uh, if, if uh, the Ripper did write uh, the graffito, uh, what, what, if anything, does that tell us about him? Because most people that actually think that he wrote it, uh, usually it's a highly literate person that wrote it. I mean, they fingered Donston is writing it or Maybrick is writing it or J.K. Stephen or Walter Sickert. It's, you know, it's never some poor immigrant that wrote the message. So I'm just wondering your thoughts on that. What does it tell uh, us? The well, I, I would. I think that whoever wrote the graffiti um, was uh, a native-born person. I believe that uh, he was capable of reading, and I believe that he uh, capitalized on the anti-Jewish sentiment that was in the neighborhood. Um, I'm not saying that he was a witty person, but... Um, there have been other graffitis left at other murder sites or near murder sites, like um, the, the Axman murders in 1918, which are, were, were somewhat similar to the uh, Gulsa Street graffiti. But that would be my that would be my guess, Robert. Um, I don't know exactly what he was trying to convey, other than that he did want to implicate Jews for, for some reason. That's about all I could come up with. And as to where he got the, as to where he got the chalk, um, Mrs. Eddowes had at least fifty three items on her possession, uh, on her person when she was um, taken to the mortuary, and at least a dozen of them had something to do with sewing. So it's quite possible that he spontaneously picked the chalk up out of her possessions as she was laid down on the ground. I think we can only regret she didn't have a dictionary with her. At least the spelling conundrum might have been solved. <laughs> <laughs> Do you do you think that the um, the without getting too technical about it, do you think that the double negative was deliberate? In other words, um, you said, and I've uh, you know I've, I've I've heard this interpretation before that it may, it may have been to throw blame onto the Jews for the either that specific killing or the killings in general. If if the killer were Jewish, then you know the double negative could be you could read it the other way. He could, he could be saying, look, it's not the fault of the Jews. True. Yeah. That's true. But, um, uh, again, I, I have no personal agenda or, or platform that I have a specific suspect, an individual that I could name as Jack the Ripper, but I, yeah. I do believe that he was not Jewish. I, I, don't, I don't believe that, um, that, that the Ripper was Jewish. Not that he couldn't be, but um, no. well, that's partly because I believe it, at Berners Street, I believe the Broad Shoulders man is the man that we're looking for. But that's just an opinion, and we all know about opinions. Everyone has one. Um, back to what you had said earlier, Howard, about the nature of the writing on the wall. You had said that it was all in all capital letters, and I, I isn't no, there, uh, no, no, no. Oh, I said that the capital, the capital. No, that's all right, John. That's okay. The capital letters are written in three quarter of an inch, high letters, which uh, indicates that the other letters um, were in the other case letters were, were small too. And, and a problem we have is we don't know whether or not it was written in script or cursive or if it was in block letters. That's, that's another issue in this whole thing. Well, that's I, why I've, I had brought it up actually was because I, yeah. I had thought it was in cursive um, because they compared it to uh, Ripper letters. And mm. say it's well, uh, well, a good schoolboy's round hand. 
capital. That's true. And that's true. And there's also a, a letter that was sent to the police, one of many letters, but one that we do have. It's in Mr. Evans' book, The Letters from Hell. Uh, it's a letter from November 10th, which is obviously after the double event and after the writing on a wall. But that was in block letters. And I'm, I'm just thinking that perhaps there were other letters that we don't know about. Uh, that were written in block letters instead of. But I had also thought that Warren, when he sent the Home Office a copy of his version of the Graffito, uh, intended to write it out as best as how he observed it at the scene. Um, people, please correct me if I'm wrong. Um, in that, in uh, in the the number of lines used, and and it, it, even down to the, the script. Um, right. Okay, which and was here again in, we have which that. was written in cursive, More, Warren, we have, Warren's um, version of the uh, graffito. Sorry, John, but uh, here again we have that problem of of it being like a hybrid message. It's got the second word that Long used, but it, or excuse me, the second word that Hulse used, and the sentence structure as Long interpreted it at the inquest. So you've got you've got everything uh, corroborating what Long said, but with the addition of the word. J U W E S that Hall's put. So, you know, we're we're it's we're inconclusive about that too. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think John, you you make a good point there about you know Warren's transcript. I mean, whether he was uh, attempting to, to to reproduce it faithfully or not is one thing. But I feel reasonably sure that if it had been in uh, in block letters, in in, in capital letters, that uh, Warren would at least have uh, uh, have copied that. Yeah, instead, as you say, he does it in a cursive uh, manner. Yeah. So that, not, not that it really matters, but I, I think that's, that, that is you know, a good indicator, at least as far as I'm concerned, that it was in very small, as Howard says, cur- uh, cursive letters. How about uh, the idea of the message actually being a threat? Now, either way, whichever way you read it, so let's say that the Jews are the men that will not be blamed for nothing is... is like saying that uh, the Jews are being blamed for, for something which they didn't do and that they will rise against that eventually. They're not the men that are going to be blamed for nothing. I think there's a lot of validity in that, Paul. You know, it's, um, you know we're not going to take any shit from anyone, uh, is one way of interpreting yeah. it. Yeah. 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 Which could be translated then or transferred in the, uh, in the murderer's eyes that he was doing, that he, <laughs> he was proving the point. He that, that uh, is, is a statement that he was a Jew and uh, was retaliating for the blame that had been put on him for doing or, you know, for things that he hadn't done. I always go back to, you know, there are lots of killers who have left lots of messages. They generally don't leave just one obscure one. Um, one of the ones that always comes to mind is that we had the DC sniper killings and they left tarot cards, which very obscure message, but they left them at more than one crime scene. And on one, it said something like, dear policeman, I am God. And it was left on the tarot card that has death represented. That's an obscure message, sort of, with the whole tarot cards and the death. But then you get the dear policeman, I am God, left with a bullet casing and it becomes a much more clear sort of message plus you get into the fact that it was left at more than one scene so that the killer knows that his message is being understood and received um this was a message from me here's a bullet casing which could be the apron but then again 
you know, even they're left at more than one crime scene. If the killer's trying to convey a message, why didn't he take the best chance he had to convey a message? Which would have been the Kelly scene. But we don't know what the what would go through the murderer's mind. I mean, he's walking along the street. He throws the apron into the, the entry. A cat knocks over a milk bottle. Well, they wouldn't have knocked over a milk bottle in those days, but take the point <laughs> as it being... Uh, and, and so he pops in, and whilst he's there, he, he leaves a little message. <coughs> it, you can't be absolutely certain what somebody, um, um, the murderer, would have done or wouldn't have done. We don't know anything about him. We can't begin to assess uh, the circumstances or the thought processes or anything else. There's, there's nothing there to work on. All we can say is that either it was a fortuitous uh, place for somebody to have written the message um, but the other indications are that uh, I mean, I mean, who was it uh, was it Hulse who said that the writing had the appearance of being recently done uh, because he thought it would have been rubbed out by people passing in and out if it had been done mm. uh, a long time before he also said it was fresh points. Mr. Bag. Yeah, well, these, these are all points that, that sort of uh, suggest that this was not an old piece of, of graffiti, that it hadn't been there for a while. So it's a fresh piece of yep. graffiti, which just happens to be in the same location as the, as the piece of apron. Yeah, well, there's, there's a couple of things. If, if only I had a weather map uh, for, the, for the night of the 30th of September. Um, but... Uh, <laughs> said um but yeah i mean there, there is that issue there of you know uh, how how i mentioned earlier the, the the rain and so on but well we know that goosen street goes north south and um at least the prevailing weather reports from the time indicate that uh, the rain's coming in from uh, the north and sweeping east so you know if if the writing was on the um the north west sort of um uh, part of the doorway, then the rain would have missed most of it. It would have impacted more on the southeast face of the doorway. Um, and I've seen graffiti. I, I, I've seen sort of lovers' lane type graffiti chalked up in a, in a bus shelter that was there for years. Um, and while I wouldn't say it looked freshly minted after all that time, it still remained a certain, you know, it still retained a certain freshness after a very long uh, period of time. Um, I suppose yeah, I've always that, wondered. How do you determine yeah, yeah, the freshness of graffiti? <laughs> I've always found that an odd statement. It was very, very fresh. And what Out. Paul was um, saying about his uh, interpretation of it possibly being a political statement, that's how I read it anyway, Paul, um, uh, made by the Jews. Um, that seems to make more sense. I mean, maybe I'm not going to say it makes more sense than um, than it from, than it being by the killer necessarily, but um, that that interpretation of the graffiti as a political statement would make more sense, um, being given the location it was written in and, and the time we're talking about here. Um, political statements of those kinds um, about the the Jewish question. In, in the east end of London um, would seem to make sense. And it could have been a day old or a couple of days old. Is that what you were kind of getting at, Paul? In that maybe the Ripper had seen uh, this uh, writing on the wall and, and thought that was a good place to put the apron? Or well, Either way, whichever way um, you want to look at it. I, I mean, I'm not fussed one... <laughs> 
no axe to grind really with with uh, with whoever wrote it. But Warren uh, and Arnold and everybody um, clearly saw that it was uh, believed that it was there to it was an incitement to the Jews, which is why they particularly wanted to have it uh, rubbed off. Mm. Uh, so if they if they saw it as in, uh, inciting uh, anti-Semitic reaction or anti-alien reaction, then um, then presumably the interpretation of the words that I've just suggested uh, would, wouldn't wouldn't have applied. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I just, we just don't know, do we? <laughs> Can I ask another question? Was um, I've seen various versions, but. Was was there an allegedly accurate copy made um, actually trying to imitate the handwriting? Well, that was the Warren one, wasn't it, which uh, Warren sent uh, a memo to the to the Home Office where... He... Is, that, is that the one in five lines? Yeah, I think that's, that's the only one that I think... Yeah, the October 8th... Yeah, the October 8th communication, Chris, uh, was in five lines... Um, I'm not sure if that's in good schoolboy handwriting, though, is it? It's in uh, well, cursive, okay. but, uh, I, you know, I think it, it's cursive. to me it looks like it could be Warren's normal script yeah. instead of right. him trying to imitate what he saw on the wall. I've got, I've, got a, I've got a very particular reason for asking, and I don't want to get all cloak and dagger about this, but I really don't know very much because I, I was sent um, a copy of the Galston Street Graffito which is on a black background. I'm not saying it was photographed and I've got a phone. I'm not doing a, you know, I don't want to stole that brouhaha. But <laughs> this was sent to me and it's in three lines and the, the Jewish word is very hard to read. It could be J-E-U, it could be J-W. But it's in three lines and it's very different from the, um, the Warren one, which I've got a copy of in front of me. Um, and I just wondered if anybody had seen this three-line one. It's definitely in a cursive hand. Well, Halson, the city police, said it was a three. It was written in three lines. Uh, they differed from the Metropolitan version, uh, but we don't and have Robert, a copy of theirs. Yeah, right. Well, this, right, look, Robert, this looks right. like all, all stood there. All stood there with it. He stood there and, and guarded the uh, graffiti, while the, uh, Detective Hunt went out to find somebody. So he would probably be the best person to, to gauge how many lines that the graffiti was in. Yeah. He was standing right next it's, to it. It's, it's just that I don't remember seeing this version before. And it's uh, there are capitals. Again, blamed is with a capital B, but the nothing was with a capital N. And it's also the alternative wording. It reads, the Jews are not the men that will be blamed for nothing. Yeah, that's the City of London wording, yeah. That's the right. City of London. I just, I just wonder where this copy came from, because it was a lot of people send me stuff, and this, this was just sent to me with no covering note. I, I replied to the email address, but I've never heard back, and this was like getting on for a year ago, and I've just kept it on the PC. But maybe there are some more words on the message a little bit further down the, the line that we, we can't see and that there aren't. Can I, can I impose on you, Paul? If I, if I, if I mail it to, me, to you, could you tell me if it's one you've seen before? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Um, now, this is a, a kind of going to be a little fun, but um, Howard mentioned earlier... The um, suspects that have been connected to the Golson Street Graffito, he mentioned James Maybrick, and in that regard, it is because some claim that the word Jews is actually the word James. 
Um, and then we have the Masonic conspiracy, which seems to be the the one that the uh, that the media and Hollywood and, and everybody like yeah. to jump on. Which to yeah. quickly explain that one is that, and I don't know if it was Stephen Knight's um, big idea or if he was the first to come up with this, but it is um, examined in detail in Stephen Knight's book, The Final Solution, where he tries to connect the murder of Catherine Eddowes in Mitre Square to the message chalked on the wall, um, along with the murder um, that took place when there was a priory at Mitre Square in 1530. A murder of a woman uh, by a monk with a knife that, uh, according to Knight, resembled the Catherine Eddowes murder. And then he links those three events, the Eddowes murder, the, the graffiti, and the um, monk murder of 1530 to the murder of um, uh, one of the builders of Solomon's Temple, Haram Abif, by Jubila, Jubilo, and Jubilum. Um, which is the cornerstone of Freemason lore. And Knight claims that the abbreviation for those three men's names who perpetrated the murder against Hiram Abiff is Jews, J-U-W-E-S, matching uh, Warren's version of the spelling of the name on the wall. What are we going to make of that? Anyone? As far as I can remember... Go they, ahead, were Paul. Called, uh, they were called the ruffians, weren't they? They were never called the uh, uh, the Jews. The they were just called the ruffians in in British Masonic law. Yes, yes, they were. It's always struck me actually that you know if if they were Jubila, Jubilo, and Jubilum, then the diminutive of them or the collective noun anyway should be the Jubes rather than the Jewways. <laughs> so I I, I, I don't it know. Sort of a sweet, doesn't it? Some sort of fruit pastel. But yeah, I, I don't know how on earth that sort of uh, came to light. Oh God! Um, it reminded me reminded me of the hoods. I, I, I'm not going to get that image out of my head now. <laughs> <laughs> Jack the Ripper walking along as a hoob. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. Warren had joined. What was it? The the, the, the Quatuor Coronati Lodge or some. Uh, or some such, uh, which was, uh, I think Stephen Knight makes makes great play that you know this was the uh, if you like the, the Oxford and Cambridge or the, or the Harvard and Yale if you like of uh, of, of, of Freemasonry and uh, you know whilst whilst Warren did take an interest in in Masonic law, um, I think that developed later um, and you, you know this so even if this this spurious story about the uh, the three ruffians or the three Jewways uh, uh, were true, which it patently isn't, uh, then it was a fairly obscure um, um, factoid for Warren to have known at that time anyway. Uh, so, so the whole thing is nonsensical. And it only really works if, if, if you believe the Masonic conspiracy. Uh, and, and given that that's been shown on so many levels to be wrong, then I think we can discard that interpretation anyway. And there's also no logic in in Warren's actions, even if you if you go by that, because um, he of course did not have it photographed, but he ordered a copy of it made, which Long mm. made in his notebook, and other police, I imagine, around made in their notebooks. So he he still had the message preserved, despite the fact that it wasn't photographed. So he wasn't, you know, saving us from the Jews anyway. You know, that's true. 
There's also another interpretation that I believe Tom Westcott proposed on the boards as far as reading it differently. And it was, I believe that he thought it wasn't J-U-W-E-S. And I could be wrong on who it is. I believe it was Tom Westcott, but I could be wrong. And that it actually was, I, I'm going to get this so wrong, but I-W-E-C-M-E-S, which stood for the International Working Men's um, Club by Elizabeth Stride's murder. And his, I believe he proposed that it was saying that they were the men who would not be blamed for nothing. Yeah. Allie, Donald Salden from, 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 from Ripperologist magazine showed some evidence that they're, they're, they did not use acronyms back in that time period. The International Working Men's Club did not go by an acronym, is what you're saying, Howard, right? Correct. It's, right, exactly. Do you, mean, do you mean an acronym or just abbreviations? Ab- abbreviations. An acronym, uh, no, no, an acronym, an acronym, correct. Yeah. Certainly the, uh, I mean, the club was certainly known as the IWC. I think anyway, it becomes almost a tautology, given that the, the club was associated with Jews anyway. Then, yeah. Um, uh, you know, you may as well say Jews and or IWC, um, and it would mean the same thing, uh, ostensibly. Um, although, you know, I can't quite picture Kosa Brodsky and all them saying, you know, Ox said, I'm off down the Iwick for a few points. You want to join me? It just, just doesn't... Uh, I don't think it's a very catchy acronym, you know? Um, if, 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 if it was used, then it was probably... Um, not that widely used, maybe. But yeah, it's an interesting idea. Certainly more valid than, than, than Jewez, as in the Masonic uh, conspiracy, or James, God help us, with Maybrick. Uh, I mean, ingenious, but, you know, it takes a stretch of the imagination. Right, and it wouldn't match, um, you know, one would think if it was an ab- abbreviation with all caps and periods between each letter, then that would be more apparent than everybody at the scene getting the uh, seeing Jews, but just it being misspelled in various ways. Um, well, I think it also hinges more on the fact that that interpretation would require that the full name of the club society would be used, which is like educational society or something like that. And nobody actually called it that. So, right. you know, what's the likelihood that this killer is going to um, initialize the full title of a club when even the members don't even really use the entire full name of their club to refer to it. Yeah. Yeah. Just just a point you made there, John, about you know dots and periods, and believe me, I'm not going to get onto the Trevor Marriott theory. Uh, I mean, dots and periods are some punctuation. Which um, is what? Oh, no, you can get into the Trevor Marriott theory if you want. <laughs> uh, it, since we're discussing well, we, different people's theories, what what is his theory, just to inform our audience? Well, this this is more to do with the the apron rather than the uh, the writing. Oh yes, uh, uh, you know that that it was uh, used as some sort of menstrual rag or or, or, or toilet paper even by uh, by Edo oh, possibly before she was yeah. even taken to prison. Thank goodness uh, you meant that because I thought you meant the theory that it was taken there on the back of a set of gates that were halfway up uh, <laughs> Burner Street, which uh, have been not been shown in the photograph. Good lord. Oh, what woman would rip up her apron willingly just to use it for that? Well, desperate and, times, and, Howard. Uh, well, that's like that's like a man using his socks. <laughs> and does well, it? Not, wasn't not it a, I'm sorry. Hey, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I, I forgot. Children will be listening to this. But another thing is that uh, Mr. Mr. Marriott's not even Mr. Marriott isn't even aware if uh, Mrs. Eddowes could still get her period. 
to be truthful. She's forty. She's in her mid forties. She's superannuated. She has a bad diet, and he doesn't know. And uh, I, I sincerely doubt that uh, that she would have used that for any hygienic purposes, especially you know ripping up um, ripping up an article of her clothing. She looked like a freak, you know, walking around with a half an apron on. <laughs> Well, and, and um, you know, uh, let's uh, hope that children aren't listening to this podcast, but um, there were other uh, bodily fluids found on the apron besides just blood. Um, so she would have not only been using it as a uh, for a menstrual cycle, but kind of also as a diaper as far as uh, from, from what evidence we have. Um, yep. now, but isn't Marriott also the one who said that maybe it was taken by a dog or... Or, um, no, or did he? Some, did some, he claim that it, it was dropped by the Ripper? Because I know that, that, that that's kicking around out there also. Is that the apron yes. was just deposited by a, a, yep. a stray dog or something, and it was just one yeah. big coincidence? A couple of years ago, a hypothesis. Um, There's hold on. She had twelve pieces of rag at least in her bag. Correct. As a woman. I can tell you what would have gotten used first. And she wouldn't have cut off her apron, so Trevor Marriott's theory is basically bald. Because she had an assortment of cloths that could have been used for that purpose if that purpose was needed. End of story. End of story. This will bow to the more experienced um, co-hosts on the podcast in those regards. She's never actually menstruated. You don't actually get an uh, I'm, I'm at a loss for words. So um, we should get this sponsored. <laughs> no, no theater. <laughs> so um, we're all uh, of the belief that he threw the apron there. Um, then discounting the whole dog, dropped it in in the archway. And Howard hasn't been convinced yet that um, that that the writing is is not um, by the murderer. Not yet. Okay. Not yet. Nice try. I think the interesting thing from that perspective is is, is the you know the uh, the juxtaposition or whatever uh, the configuration of the apron and the graffito together uh, because it's not absolutely certain that they were in close proximity. Um, yes, they were in the doorway, but as we've seen, Long saw the apron first. He only noticed the graffiti after he started searching the entrance way. Um, and, you know, it's variously reported in the papers um, as uh, above the apron, uh, on the wall. Um, I think there's one source, one newspaper source that says uh, directly above. I might be wrong in that. But certainly Long's um, signed um, inquest testimony and the, the, the transcripts of... Uh, of the inquest in, in the Telegraph, the Times, and I think uh, the Morning Advertiser, all say long as saying on the wall above, yeah, mm. or rather than directly on the wall above or directly above the apron piece. So there is that element of doubt um, that they were that close together. And after Long ha- handles the apron, we're never going to know anyway. By the time other officers arrive on the scene, um, Long would be, I think, the only one who would have known. Yeah. Because it, it would have yeah. been moved. Yeah, well, he he took it off to Commercial Street, didn't he? Yeah, yes, he did. So there is one interesting newspaper clip which I only found today, and and this was in um, the Palm Al Gazette, which 
granted isn't the most reliable at the best of times. Um, but this is in the, in the Palmal Gazette of the 8th of October, uh, and it, it quotes verbatim a clipping from the Central News Agency, which goes as, fo- which goes as follows. Um, a startling fact has just come to light. After killing Catherine Edwards in Mitre Square, the murderer, it's now known, walked to Goulston Street where he threw away a piece of the deceased woman's apron. Within a few feet of this spot, he had written on the wall, the Jews uh, shall not be blamed for nothing. So it, this is the only source I've seen where it actually says within a few feet of this spot. Uh, which suge- suggests, you know, at least some spatial separation, uh, which you don't get in the other reports. Just thought I'd throw that one in because I only found it today. And my, you know, my sense of that would be if, if, if the killer wanted to make a definite association between the two objects, then he'd have, um, you know, dropped the apron directly beneath the writing if the writing was there before, or he'd have written the writing directly above the apron or even on the ground underneath the apron um, and dropped the apron there. Uh, but it seems that he he didn't. The apron was on the wall, whether it was on the door jam, whether it was at shoulder height uh, or whatever. Um, it, it wasn't in direct association with the apron fragment. And it strikes me, going back to Ali's point earlier about you know the, the gun cartridges or the tarot cards, uh, then if you want to make something, uh, make a connection fit uh, or stick, then you're going to go out of your way to do it. But it doesn't seem that it happened in this instance. Discuss. Right, um, and and that we did have the Hanbury Street, uh, whether it, it occurred or not, um, reported in the press. Um, there was this precedent of what the murder murderer may have written, um, and then and then afterwards we see uh, we don't see anything similar to the Goulston Street Graffito being written um, in chalk, but we see things that do harken back to the graffiti claimed to have been left at the Hanbury Street site. So, so yeah, I, I agree that, that one would think that if, if the murderer was going to leave a message, they would leave something, you know, similar to, you know, what was supposedly left at Hanbury Street or something that, you know, would appear a lot more threatening. It seemed like it was the vogue to uh, leave a, a tally, a count of his number of victims, and and I would I would uh, assume that that would a, a message similar to that would be left as opposed to something that we're still debating the meaning of 120 years later. You know, no, perhaps he left a cryptic message. Perhaps that fecal matter on the apron was his, and he was saying that was number two. I don't know. <laughs> On that wonderful note, um, uh, anyone have any last words on the Golson Street Graffito before we call it a podcast? The only thing that always comes to mind, that, that letter that Donston wrote, uh, where I know it was mentioned earlier, where he said that uh, he was trying to say it was there was a French influence, and I think he said that the Jewess was Juive. Yeah. J-U-I-V-E-S. Yeah, he did because that twice, I, October 16th and then on December 1st, uh, the Paul Mall Gazette article. Yeah, and he, he actually sort of included, well, I presume it was by him, but there was actually examples of the handwriting in there, wasn't there? Uh, yeah, his handwriting, correct. Yeah. It's an example of his. He says, try it in script, if I remember yeah. correctly. Yeah. But I, if, I, if, I under, if I understand it rightly, the... Um, 
it doesn't make sense grammatically because uh, juive is feminine. Right. Uh, Jews in French is J-U-I-F-S. Juif, yeah. isn't it? But, yeah, Jewish, so, he, he, so he'd actually, so he'd actually be saying the Jewish women are not the men to be blamed for nothing. <laughs> exactly, right. He makes like four other mistakes within that article uh, yeah. relative to the to, to the crime. At least four. Yeah. So perhaps we should be looking for a, a French transsexual then. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I know. I know it's. I know it's only obliquely related, but I mean, I'd just really be interested to th- quickly to think what other folks think about this business about the timing. That um, I, I find it incredible, especially the number of police that would be on the street, that the, the killer of Edo's would hang about for probably in excess of an hour uh, before dumping the apron. So I, I, personally, I think that the apron was there at 2.20. Um, and, and it just wasn't seen. But, I mean, does anybody think that he did actually hang about and, and dump the apron after, you know, between 2.20 and 2.55? That's a good argument against graffiti. Very good argument against it. And and um, also uh, along that same line of thinking, I was wondering when Long was made aware of the murder of Catherine Eddowes in that um, – if he passed by that location at two twenty, I mean, what, do we do we even know, uh, you know, how uh, quickly word traveled to the other mm-hmm. cops on the beat? Um, oh yeah, we, that, we, we we do, uh, John. Long didn't find out until he taken the apron to Commercial Street. He was then told, um, and I think this was at two thirty-five or whatever, um, or thereabouts. Um, so uh, he, he discovered the apron without even realizing that a murder had he been did. committed. And, and he thought, did. He he thought to take that apron piece to the Commercial Street <coughs> Police Station. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, House, um, House gives a very definite time. He said that he heard about the murder at two minutes to two. He said at two minutes to two o'clock on the Sunday morning, when near Aldgate Church, in company with Utram and Marriott, I heard that a woman had been found murdered. So he heard within yeah. quarter of an hour. Yeah, and, and, and Long, uh, I, I don't have the source, um, you know, uh, offhand, but he he certainly says that he took the uh, the apron to the station and there found out that, and that would have been uh, there'd been a murder in Mike Square. Shortly after 3 a.m., so it would have been, Long would have been left in the dark for an entire hour um, after Hulse was made aware of it. Yeah, the whole, holding this ghastly piece of evidence at arm's length, probably. <laughs> kind of... They should have told him sooner, poor guy. <laughs> just, just an obscure point on that is that, say Hulse brings it. I mean, uh, uh, say he uh, Long brings the piece of apron uh, to Commercial Street Station. Uh, he, you know, did he realize even that the graffito was there? Then does is he absolutely yeah. certain that the yeah. graffito is there at two fifty-five? Yes, he's. Um, it's, uh, I've got the the um, transcript of the inquest, and I was just having a quick look through. The coroner said, how, how did you come to observe the writing on the wall? Oh, no, he says, how, which did you notice first, the piece of apron or the writing? Um, and Long said, the piece of apron, one corner of which was wet with blood. And then the coroner said, how, how came you to observe the writing on the wall? He says, I saw it while trying to discover whether there, there were any marks of blood about. Okay. 
So he found the piece of apron with the blood stain on and was looking around to see if there was like a blood trail and then saw the writing. Which kind of bolsters Garris' uh, quote from the Pall Mall Gazette that the writing could have been several feet. Now, we don't know if they're talking vertical feet or horizontal feet, you know. Yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, um, Yeah. um, But if he would have walked into the uh, more into the entranceway of the Wentworth model dwellings, and that's where he saw their graffiti, yeah, as opposed to right above the piece of apron on the doorway. Oh, he says um, because he was recalled because he hadn't got his pocketbook with him. This business about when he found out about the murder, um, all he says was um, about. He says about searching the searching the buildings. He he went up and down the staircases. How many staircases are there? Six or seven. And you searched every staircase. And he says, yes, every staircase to the top. There were no traces of blood or footmarks. Um, and then he says, um, I heard of the murder in the city. There were rumors of another, but not certain. That's all he says. So he could have heard of it while he was passing on his beat, for example, and maybe passed. I presume so. Yeah. I don't think he did. I mean, we'll we'll check afterwards. Um, but I, right. I, I'm sure there are some more as verbatim transcripts. We've got to be careful here because, as usual, you know, the accounts vary. Exactly. Um, and also, the other it's, does that, has anybody ever found out who the other? Because after that, Long says when he uh, he was asked, he said, when you went away, this was to take the apron. Did you leave anybody in charge? And he said, yes, the constable on the next beat. PC 190H division, but I do not know his name. I told him to keep observation on the dwelling house and to see if anyone entered or left. Yeah, that, that would be Constable Jouez, probably. <laughs> oh, don't. <laughs> the undiscovered well, well, clue to it all. Well, he's not to be right, is he? <laughs> no, exactly. exactly. He did his best. He did his best. All right, well, is that it then, everybody? I think so. All right. Well, well, I thank everyone for being on the show today, and we'll end it there. And that was Rippercast, episode 30, A Clue in Whitechapel, the Gulston Street Graffito. I want to thank everyone for joining the show today. We had Paul Begg, Chris Scott, Howard Brown, Gareth Williams, Robert McLaughlin, and Allie Ryder. We are a weekly podcast on the Whitechapel murders, available at our website, www.rippernet.com, or by subscription via the iTunes Music Store, keyword Rippercast, or Jack the Ripper. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions for the show, you can email us at rippernet at mac.com. Again, I want to thank everyone for participating in the podcast, and I certainly want to thank all of our listeners out there. And we'll see you next week.